You're listening to Comedy Central. March 9, 2020. From Comedy Central's World News Headquarters in New York, this is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Our guest tonight is an author and an activist whose new book is called Hood Feminism. Mickey Kendall is gonna be joining us, everyone. Also on tonight's show, Joe Biden makes a surprising friend, Jabuki Young-White tells us how to stop corona, and Donald Trump might actually be a genius. So let's catch up on today's headlines. Let's kick it off with the Democratic primary race, or as I like to call it, too old, too furious. (laughs) It's down to Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden. And tomorrow could be the day we find out who's going all the way. Former Vice President Joe Biden and Senator Bernie Sanders are both in Michigan today ahead of tomorrow's Democratic presidential contest. Six states will hold votes for 352 delegates. Of those, Michigan is the big prize. It has the most delegates, 125 of them. Sanders has held half a dozen events in Michigan since Friday. He's hoping this is where he can block Biden's momentum. On Sunday, Biden earned yet another endorsement from a former opponent, this time Senator Kamala Harris. I have decided that I am with great enthusiasm going to endorse Joe Biden for president of the United States. I believe in Joe. I really believe in him, and I have known him for a long time. Now please send $10,000 in unmarked bills (laughs) so that my family can see me again. (laughs) I'm very happy to be here. (laughs) I don't understand why Kamala Harris shot this hostage-style video (laughs) to show her support for Joe Biden. It looks weird, it really does. I bet even the Taliban is looking at this video like, we had better lighting and we were in a cave. (laughs) Much better, much better. Also, it's a little strange for me. I'm not gonna lie, American politics is a little strange. Like, how's Kamala gonna endorse Joe Biden and not acknowledge that she once called him a friend of racists who opposed integrated public schools? Like, for me, you have to at least say, look, I know we've had our differences, but, or something like that. Otherwise, you make it seem like we're crazy. It's like you're gaslighting her. Just like, I've known him for a long time and he's great, and during the debates, oh, that was different. (laughs) This is like when you were a kid. Do you ever sleep over at a friend's house? and then you could hear their parents screaming at each other in the next room, and then they'd come out like, hey, you guys want pizza for dinner? (laughs) And you're like, uh, are we not gonna acknowledge that Dateline NBC shit that just went down? (laughs) All right, because I'll have pepperoni. (laughs) All right, but let's move on to some international news, because while America only has to worry about one presidential inauguration next year, over in Afghanistan, they're dealing with two. In Afghanistan, two different politicians who both claim to have won the presidential election are staging their inauguration ceremonies. Ashraf Ghani, the first to be sworn in as president, has been Afghan president since 2014, and the country's election commission say he won a second term in September last year. We are hearing Mr. Ghani has made his inaugural speech. When that happened, several explosions happened nearby, and we've just had the footage through. Have a listen. Ta 
okay, I, I don't know what's crazier. That two people say they're the president or that while this guy is giving his speech, explosions are shaking the building and he just keeps on going. And it's like, as I was saying, I'm very happy to be your president. So now Afghanistan is in a sticky situation because two people are claiming to be the president. Yeah, no one knows what to do. If you ask me, we should just get Maury over there to solve this whole thing. <laughs> yeah, just be like, you are not the leader. Oh! Although at the same time, why, why, do, why do we fix this? It's not the worst idea to have two presidents. We've never thought of it. Maybe we should just, you know, should have, like presidents should have day shift and night shift. Maybe that could be a new thing. <laughs> yeah, it could be easier for the presidents because then they could avoid the blame for bad news. People would be like, Mr. President, the people are starving. It's just like, oh, look, I just clocked in. I, uh... <laughs> Yeah, that sounds like a night shift problem, sorry. <laughs> All right, and finally, as you know, yesterday was the beginning of daylight savings time. It's the day when all the clocks leave the microwave clock behind. <laughs> and daylight savings has already had its critics, but now it looks like people in power have also had enough. Florida Senator Marco Rubio is calling for people to reach out to their representatives and senators and ask them to lock the clock and support his bill to make daylight saving time permanent. It's time to go permanent daylight savings and end this once and for all. We have a bill to do that. Let's see if we can get it done this year. This is stupid. Remember, uh, call your member of Congress, uh, your senator, and tell them to uh, stop this changing of the time and lock the clock. Okay. Why do all American senators shoot selfies like hostage videos? <laughs> what is this? What's going on? Dark halls, bare walls, weird lighting. I'm starting to think the coronavirus might be worse than they're telling us, and every senator is already in a fallout shelter. <laughs> you know, like Rubio is just faking us out with this video. Yeah, daylight savings, uh, am I right, guys? Let my family in, then seal the doors! <laughs> I mean, are we really gonna turn back the clocks? Just shoot them, shoot them! We don't have enough grain! Anyway, guys. And another thing, why is Senator Marco Rubio telling us to call senators? Like, bitch, you work there. Tell them yourself. <laughs> you got corona out in these streets. You got shit to deal with. <laughs> Can you call my job? And no. <laughs> it's actually crazy that senators even have the power to change what time it is. Because they can just vote and then time goes back an hour. It's a good thing I'm not a senator because I would be proposing these bills every day. <laughs> I always want to change time. Five times a day, I'd be on Instagram like, hey guys, uh, the Apple genius bar says they can't see me until 3 p.m. Please call your senators. I need to get my phone fixed. And then be like, Trevor, are you up next? Thanks guys, you guys are great. All right, that's it for the headlines. Let's move on to our top story. <laughs> the coronavirus. It's not only a global pandemic, it's also everybody's new excuse for canceling plans. Which reminds me, Dave, I can't go to your birthday party. I might have coronavirus and also find you very annoying. <laughs> but the question remains, how serious is this viral threat going to get? Well, let's check in on the latest developments in our ongoing segment, Is This How We Die? Outside of China, one of the countries hardest hit by the coronavirus has been Italy. Corona cases there seem to be doubling overnight. And it's gotten so bad that at the Sistine Chapel, God is now refusing to touch man. <laughs> and as for the government of Italy, they've just decided to shut it all down. 
all of Italy is going on lockdown. Tonight, the prime minister announcing drastic new measures just a short time ago, essentially telling everyone in his country to stay home. Prime Minister Giuseppe Conte announcing tonight severe restrictions on the entire nation of around 60 million people. From tomorrow morning, all sporting events are off, including soccer. The general public should only go to work and work from home if possible. In a Rome suburb, the faithful celebrated mass outdoors. Notice the distance between them, adhering to government advice that members of the public should stay three feet away from one another. Yeah, that's right, folks. Thanks to Corona, Italy is completely locked down. No soccer matches, no cinema, even church has changed because worshipers don't want to get too close. And it's gonna be hard to take communion seriously when the the priest has to throw wafers into people's mouths (laughs) from across the room. Can you imagine that? Just gonna be like the body of Christ from downtown. (laughs) But it's not just Europe. Coronavirus is also wrecking havoc here in the US. And it's becoming clear that no one is safe. Back here in this country, two members of Congress are putting themselves under quarantine because a man attending a large gathering of Republicans tested positive for the coronavirus. Senator Ted Cruz and Congressman Paul Gozer say they had contact with the man at last month's event known as CPAC. Two additional Republican congressmen will undergo self-quarantine. Matt Gates and Doug Collins joined Senator Ted Cruz. Cruz releasing a statement saying everyone should continue to treat this outbreak seriously and be driven by facts and medical science. Yeah. Because coronavirus was at CPAC, four Republican lawmakers are now quarantined and can have no human contact. And Ted Cruz was like, what's human contact? (laughs) Now, what's really concerning is that if it turns out multiple people in Congress have had corona contact, they might have to send all of Congress home, which would be a disaster because if there's no one in Congress, then who would be left to not pass any laws? And look, with coronavirus spreading across the country, I know a lot of people are scared right now, but there is no need to fear, my friends, because you see, the stable genius in chief is on the case, and he's gonna do everything he can to help all of us through this thing. Unless you're already sick, then then you're on your own. This morning, 3,500 people on the Grand Princess cruise ship will disembark in Oakland, California. Of the just 45 people tested, 21 have confirmed cases. All guests will remain in isolation for 14 days. Political reports that Pence and Health Department officials reasoned that quickly removing passengers was the safest outcome. But the president, he had a very different idea. They would like to have the people come off. I'd rather have the people stay, but I'd go with them. I told them to make the final decision. I would rather, because I like the numbers being where they are, I don't need to have the numbers double because of one ship. That wasn't our fault. One thing I appreciate about Trump is that even if he does the right thing, he still tells us that he wanted to do the wrong thing. <laughs> He's like, everyone told me to save those people on the boat, but if it was up to me, I'd let those bastards die. <laughs> Just give me one fire arrow and I'll solve the boat problem, Viking style, boom, Corona's Valhalla's problem now. <laughs> What's fascinating about Trump is that even as he bumbles his way through the Corona response, he thinks that he's doing an amazing job. I like this stuff. You know, my uncle was a great person. He was at MIT. He taught at MIT for, I think, like a record number of years. He was a great super genius, Dr. John Trump. I like this stuff. I really get it. 
people are surprised that I understand it. Every one of these doctors said, how do you know so much about this? Maybe I have a natural ability. Maybe I should have done that instead of running for president. Yeah, yeah, maybe you should have done a lot of things other than running for president. But, but this is where we are now. And I'll be honest, even if Trump had some other job, I still think he'd find a way to somehow ruin things. Like, even if he was a mailman, he'd still screw things up. Be like, ding dong, I've got your corona vaccine, but I ran over it with my truck. (laughs) If you suck on the cardboard, you should be fine. (laughs) And by the way, I'm not sure that Trump has a natural ability for science, especially considering that he thinks scientific knowledge can be passed down through his uncle. doesn't have a natural, he doesn't have a natural anything. I mean, that's why we can all see his tan wiping off on his collar. There's nothing natural about this man. Yeah, that's not a normal thing. Look, man, clearly Trump is not a natural expert at this because he said the vaccine could be ready in a few months. It can't. A couple weeks ago, he said the number of cases would quickly go down to zero. It has been the opposite. He even said that you can't spread the disease if you sneeze with your eyes open. It doesn't help. (laughs) And look, Trump, Trump can't afford to be misinformed about Corona. Not just because he's president, but because as an older man who's not in great shape and spends his time touching strangers, he's definitely at risk. If Trump is not careful, he could get sick. He could be incapacitated or worst of all, he could be trapped in quarantine with Ted Cruz. (laughs) We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Game Show. As the coronavirus continues to spread, it's time for us to face the uncomfortable truth that we're all going to come in contact with it at some point. It's everywhere. Europe has it, Africa has it, America has it. The only person who doesn't have it is that guy in the bunker in Parasites. (laughs) But he's got other problems. Now, if you're in a sparsely populated area, you might be okay, but one of the worst things you can do right now is be in any kind of cramped space where people are packed tightly together. (laughs) Like Like a live studio audience for a late night show. Those people are screwed, but not you guys. You guys are cool, you guys are fine. You guys are fine. And it's even worse if you're in a city like New York, which is basically one big studio audience. The good news is, though, the governor of New York, Andrew Cuomo, is taking action. Governor Andrew Cuomo has declared a state of emergency in New York as dozens of new cases of coronavirus are determined each day, with testing happening around the clock. Contain, 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 get a lead, chase it down, get a lead, chase it down, find a positive quarantine. Governor Andrew Cuomo sounding the alarm against riding the subways if you're sick. If you see a packed train car, let it go by, wait for the next train. Yes. To minimize your risk in New York City, you should wait for a less crowded train. (laughs) And we actually have a live image of someone who's still waiting for a less crowded train. (laughs) I'll miss you. I'll miss you, granddad. Let me give you a tip about New York. There are no less crowded trains. (laughs) And if there is an empty car on the train, whatever's in there is worse than corona, (laughs) okay? Even coronavirus would be like, ah, if I were you, I'd wait for the next one. (laughs) Yeah, just wait like me. I'm going, I'm waiting for the next one. (laughs) 
Now, although the governor gave some unhelpful advice, he does have a plan to help ensure that there's plenty of hand sanitizer for the residents of New York. We are introducing New York State clean hand sanitizer made conveniently by the state of New York. This is a superior product to products now on the market. This is 75% alcohol. It has a very nice floral bouquet. I detected lilac, hydrangea, tulips. What does it smell like to you? No! Why are you putting your hands in someone else's face? That's the first rule of coronavirus. What do you do, like Cuomo's the kind of guy who would open the door to prove the zombies are gone? I swear I don't hear them, let me check. <laughs> but look, I will say, a state making its own hand sanitizer to give people free hand sanitizer is a great idea, I love this. Although I don't know why Cuomo's trying to sell us on the great smell. <laughs> right, there's coronavirus. I'm buying the hand sanitizer, I'm taking it. You don't have to sell me on the frig. Imagine if the captain of the Titanic was like, everyone, get in the life rafts. And here's a fun bonus. They smell like fresh baked cookies. <laughs> also, they come in a really fun shade of yellow, just in time for spring. He's like, my man, uh, you had me at we're sinking. I'm in, I'm in. <laughs> now, while we're waiting on governments to figure out a solution to corona, the World Health Organization keeps reminding us that there is a lot that us individuals can do to prevent the spread of this disease. So, for more on this information, we're joined by our senior health expert, Jabuki Young-White, everybody. <laughs> Jabuki, it's really scary. And everyone wants to know, what are, what are some of the things that people can do themselves about the coronavirus? Okay, so first of all, Trevor, there is no need to panic, all right? <laughs> Except for old people. <laughs> you guys are screwed. You guys, I'm not, I'm not old. Okay, well, we'll let Corona be the judge of that. Okay, well, anyway, uh, Jibuki, I, I asked you to, to help us find the best hygiene practices sanctioned by the World Health Organization. W what has your research shown? Yeah, okay, so I read this really interesting tweet. A tweet? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I read this tweet thread, which is basically a book. Yeah. Okay. And I learned that we need to stop shaking hands. You know, why do we even do that in the first place? Like, seriously, whose idea was it for us to be like, hey, you know those things that we use to wipe our butts? <laughs> Let's rub them together. Mmm, <laughs> booty fingers. So, so what's your first tip? Okay, so my first tip, if you are still shaking hands with people, Stop it. <laughs> right now, stop that, you dirty bitch. Well, I, I don't think anyone is disagreeing with you about shaking hands. It's actually why I've been using the elbow. That way you don't even touch hands with people. Elbows? Mm, Trevor, you're using your elbow? How do you cough? What, what? That's basically like eating someone's ass. <laughs> what, do you, what, do you mean, what do you mean, how do I cough? Why is that bad? No, just show, like, what do you do when you cough? Show me what you do when you well, cough. When I cough, I cough into, uh, into my elbow and then I touch it to somebody's... Exactly. You're coughing directly into someone's ass. <laughs> Elbows are not as clean as people think. As someone who takes a lot of showers with people, I can tell you, <laughs> no one ever washes their elbow. Okay, fine. So, Jabuki, then what's the best way to greet people? Okay, so what I recommend 
is you put your hand over your heart, like so, and then you bow. Oh, that's, that's easy, that's easy. So, so just like, like this? Yeah, just like a little bit lower. Oh, like, yeah. like this? Yeah, well you wanna go low enough to kiss your old ass goodbye, old man! Cause the Rona is coming for you, God Trevor! God damn you, Jabuki, I'm white, everybody, we'll be right back. I'm not old, I'm not old. My guest tonight is a writer and an activist who offers a critique of mainstream feminism in her new book, Hood Feminism, Notes from the Women That a Movement Forgot. Please welcome Mickey Kendall. Welcome to The Daily Show. Thank you for having me. Uh, thank you for writing what is one of the most interesting books I've read on feminism in a very long time. Hood Feminism is a really interesting title because some people might be like, is, is there a different type of feminism in the hood that we, we don't know about? I think that there is. I, I would argue that feminism in the hood is really about survival and less about becoming CEO and more about becoming, you know, a person who can afford to keep your house stay home for two weeks during coronavirus and generally feed your kids through that process. Right, it's, it's interesting that you say that because many people have said that the term fem feminism itself is starting to lose its, its uh, I guess, its power because everyone has a different definition of what it means. Uh, you know, some have accused certain waves of the feminist movement of leaving black women behind. Some people have said that feminism itself, um, mainstream feminism doesn't think about all of the additional factors facing certain people. What do you think needs to improve? What is hood feminism if you think about applying it to everybody? I think about it this way. If we made sure that everyone who is currently on the margins is centered in our work and we make sure that they've got housing, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Housing, food, healthcare. Um, we make sure that people have access to education and opportunity. Mm -hmm. It's a better world for everyone, right? So your answer for, we want to reduce crime, well, make sure people don't have a reason to be criminals. Right. We want to reduce the spread of the coronavirus. Make sure people can stay home for two weeks and be paid a living wage. Right. And be able to access groceries and medical care and all of these things. Like, every answer basically boils down to, if we're going to do feminism for all women, we have to make sure that the poorest women have everything they need to survive. You can't fight for your rights if you can barely stay alive. It's interesting that you, you bring that up in the book in a completely different way, because you talk about it from a personal perspective. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you talk about it as it, as, it, as it affects people today. How did your life define how you think about feminism? So I was raised by my grandmother, and I was one of those kids who we would now casually say was at risk, right? And it was fine. I, I didn't, you know, go to jail or any of those things, but I married a guy who was not great, right. and then I got a divorce. And one of the fun things about getting a divorce when you've left an abusive relationship and you don't have any money as a single parent is that you find out really quick whether or not you have a safety net. Wow. Right? So I lived in the projects. I went to college. I was, I'm a U.S. vet. Mm -hmm. So I went to college while living in the projects and raising my son. My ex-husband didn't pay child support, yada, yada. So there was food stamps and Medicaid and all of those things. I was one of those people we always see talked about as, you know, someone who's siphoning from the system. Right. Except I had paid into the system. I got help from the system, and I promise you, I pay more in taxes now than I ever got. That's a great, I mean, that's a great success story. It's wonderful that you, 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 you came from that place to this place, but it's also interesting that you, you don't stop looking back and going like, I'm lucky. Because I, here's the thing. If you say, well, I made it out, no, it's just me, everybody else has to make it too, mm -hmm. you sort of ignore the people who, A, who helped you make it out, right. and B, you just keep the problem going. 
there is always another girl like me. There is always another parent like me. There's always another person who is struggling. And we honestly do ourselves no favors when we don't take care of people right. who need a hand up, right? And it really is. We love a bootstrap in America. Bootstraps are stupid. No one can pull themselves up by their bootstraps, <laughs> right? That's never happened. I want you to grab your shoelace and try and pull yourself up. And right. other than breaking your shoelace, you get nowhere. <laughs> so what, what people do get help from, right, is lift as we climb. Reach back and help someone. Uh-huh. And the next one, each one teach one is another saying that from like the 80s. I don't know if it's still a thing. But as you move forward and bring people with you, everything gets better. How does this apply specifically to feminism, though? Because someone might read this book and say, well, Mickey, everything you're saying here just seems like a, a, a progressive platform, you know, healthcare and, 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 and job opportunities and, and, you know, paid maternity leave, et cetera. How are these things specifically aimed at feminism? Why do you think we have to think of those policies or ideas specifically through a feminist lens? Because if we're gonna write policy that says, if we're gonna look at a movement that says it's for all women, but that movement's work only focuses on a particular group of women and ignores everyone else. Mm -hmm. Well, fun fact, you may have noticed that this last election cycle, we had a 53% number because we hadn't talked about race and class and women, right? White women will vote based on race more than they will vote based on gender. Shout out to Elizabeth Warren who just learned that lesson. So therefore, when we talk about feminism and, and we talk about women, we have to talk about all women. And issues that affect all women, not just issues that affect some women should be the focus. I'm never going to be a CEO. Well, I guess I could be. I really tried. <laughs> I could do anything else. I like but... how quickly you changed your perspective on life. <laughs> In a, you had like the it. two voices. I'm never going to be... I can do it. I mean, I think I can do anything if I put my right. mind to it. But I do also recognize there's, what, 100 or 300 women CEOs in America mm -hmm. at any given point, mm -hmm. right? How many CEOs do we need versus how many nurses, teachers, doctors? Right. Moms, so, all of these things. So do you think then, you know, because when I read through the book, what was interesting as an argument and an, and an idea was that a lot of feminism seems to have been focused around, like, powerful positions only. You know, people have gone, like, we need more women CEOs, we need more women in power, we need more women in re ruling and doing this, which we do need. But in addition to that, you argue that many f waves of feminism have left out just women in general and what they need to just survive. Yes, because when we look at the world, right, most women were 51% of the world's population, or around that, that percentage for the U.S. How many are the 99% and how many are the 1%? How many women are going to be living at or below the poverty line? Mm -hmm. Even if you're quote-unquote middle class and you're making, let's say, $50,000 a year, I think the, la the latest round of math for New York is that a living wage in New York is something like $100,000 a year, between 80 and 100. So you're still low income in New York, even if you're not low income in right. Kansas right. or whatever. Relatively, you're still low Relative, income. Relative, right. Yes. So if you're looking at these things and you're saying, well, I don't know how you're supposed to be able to pay these bills and blah, 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 but that woman is going to be CEO, so maybe she'll fix it, but she's still paying her employees $15 an hour or less. Did the woman in power help anyone or did she just get some power? So feminism has to look at the women who have power and also at the women who need to be able to survive because if we want all women to do better, if we want a movement that is for all women, we need to meet the needs of every woman as best as we can. It's a powerful statement that makes sense, which means a lot of people are gonna hate it. I loved it though. Thank you so much for being on the show. A really wonderful book that looks at feminism in a completely different way. Good Feminism is available now. Mickey Candle, everybody. Thank you so much.
The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.